0: there and welcome to FUDS on Film. First of all, a quick apology to, that our episodes have been delayed of late. Unfortunately life has gotten in the way so we're all a little bit out of order, which is why we're getting our or you rather are getting our intermission podcast on the first of the month. Normal service will probably be resumed soon after, but for now we've got a handful of films to talk about and beyond saying I'm Scott <laughs> I've done it again, oh god, I'm so broken inside. <laughs> beyond saying I uh, maybe it's it's just it's uh, between an inner desire, Scott. I just wanted to be you. <laughs> Holy but, uh,
1: misplaced, let me tell you.
0: Beyond saying that, I'm Drew, and with me is Scott. Hello. And we're just going to fire straight into after that, at which point I'm, um, my identity crisis may pass, and Scott's going to tell us about IT Chapter 2. Yes, you saw because he's a fool.
1: Yes, Uh, two years ago you may remember that the supposedly scary clown fever stalked the land as it, retroactively chapter one, became wildly successful for Lord knows what reason. And now we have the second half of that story and, well, if the first film was an hour too long, this outing means that as a gestalt it's about four hours too long. The kiddy winks of the Losers Club, while all returning in various flashbacks and the like, are in the main represented by their nearly 30-year-older incarnations, with an admittedly promising cast containing the likes of Jessica Justine, James McAvoy and Bill Hader taking the focus as they discover that Pennywise is up to his old murderous tricks again and they resolve to return to Derry and kill him again. Poor Bill Skarsgard. In fact, the overall high-level structure of the film is so close to that of the previous film, right up to how Pennywise is dealt with, that there's not all that much point going into that in any more detail. Now... For maybe ten minutes, there's a setup that looks like it might be kind of clever. It opens with an absolutely horrendous assault on two guys by a group of homophobes that's really quite shocking. Uh, with Pennywise just kind of showing up a little bit later, as though perhaps it's going to be more of a force that's inciting others to violence rather than some direct scary clown action. But that, however, is immediately discarded in favor of a big old pile of CG or That looks utterly laughable Literally laughable I laughed a lot Which was cool But this is supposed to be scary And not something akin to something That the asylum would reject As looking a little bit too pony And well So it goes And goes And goes And I just didn't care About a damn minute of it Now Now It's not 100% dumpster fire, as, well, as I mentioned, it's a solid, likeable cast, both young and old, and for Stephen King's many faults as a writer, he can produce solid characters and interactions, and there's a few moments when the CG treadmills are shut down and some of that can play out with reasonably enjoyable results. However, that's a few drops of joy in a torrent of untreated sewage So, uh, it's so bad at points that I think they're trying to treat this as a joke But we must be vigilant and not let them get away with this Now, I'm sure there's been worse films released this year But I've not seen any of those If you've not already been suckered into watching this Then just stay well away from it It's not even worth pirating Yes, just laughable garbage Avoid (laughs) I'm honestly
0: surprised to hear you describe the characters as good, because what I remember very clearly from the first film is that there was the fat kid, and the glasses kid, and the black kid, and the Jew kid, um, and the girl kid, um, and they weren't characters. They were archetypes, maybe. Hmm. Now, I am an intelligent person. However, in a few very specific, very particular ways, I can be an absolute idiot, It often comes in the form of being a completionist when it comes to film series that I don't actually like, but I feel compelled to watch anyway. I'm looking at you, Fast and Furious. (laughs) I kind of thought that It Chapter 2 might be one of the cases where I felt compelled to do it, and in fact, I had a ticket for It Chapter 2. And then the night before I was going to go to the cinema to see that, I thought, you know what, I think I'll just watch the first film again just to sort of make sure I'm up to speed remember everything that happened. Dear God, why? <laughs> I watched three quarters of it at double speed through VLC on my PC. Uh, that wasn't really quick enough, but the sound distorts if you go any quicker. Yeah. So, <laughs> And I did not go to the cinema the next day. So I've sort of saved myself, I guess, because I was only half paying attention to it. But the first film is so awful and so overlong and so pathetically unscary. And devoid of character or interest that, um, and I remember being considerably more down on it than either you or Craig at the time. Yes. In fact, I do remember Craig chiding me saying, it's not worth being this angry over such a bad film. Yes. (laughs) And, yeah, so I said, no, no, I'm not watching this. And then I, somehow, I don't know how, I had managed to avoid what the running time was before I looked up the Wikipedia entry of this, Mm. this afternoon no you were I'm going to talk about it tonight. 169 minutes! Yes. Wow! Uh, I've saved myself, quite frankly. Um, yeah. And I'm very happy with it. <laughs> and and so I read through the plot, uh, and on Wikipedia, home of dreadfully written plot, but I won't say recap because they tend to ramble on longer than a plot often, but Wikipedia is really badly written in these terms. This is one of the worst written I've ever seen, but it just makes it sound particularly terrible. And then I notice at the bottom, where it says that the reception suggested that it was overlong and somehow less scary than the first one. And mm. I think makes it a comedy. Yes, is <laughs> it you? said you just said you laughed, so maybe that's accurate because there's not even there's not the slightest scary thing anywhere in the first one. What I will ask though is is the one thing I'm curious about. Does the second part? Well. Two things, actually, Scott. Does the second part have a terrible CGI tarantula? Because that's the only thing I'm aware of from the the television adaptation, of the much-derided um, stop-motion tarantula thing.
1: Tarantula's maybe a bit specific, but yes, yeah, big, <laughs> big spidery thing. Spidery thing, yes. yes. In, the, okay. in his end-boss form, and it's not really any more convincing or <laughs> scary than it was <laughs> in the uh, Tim Curry version. So, I figured,
0: um, Yeah, and the other thing I wonder too is does it have the same problems with its, I guess, its own rules or its own logic? And, and the first time I remember Craig particularly picking up on this too was that it's like, well, is it an alien or is it something supernatural? Because it never seemed to make up its mind which.
1: I think it's settled on being a supernatural alien.
0: <laughs> that seems like a bit of a cop out, but <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. 169 minutes though. Hmm. The first one's already way too long Jeez, that's that's very self-indulgent
1: Yes, I enjoyed maybe five of those minutes, the rest of it No, no thank you
0: Okay uh, Well, I think I never need to trouble my mind with that one again
1: No Were you troubled at all by a film called The Farewell Which you're now going to talk about? (sighs) You could say that, Scott
0: (laughs) You could say that I hadn't even heard of The Farewell before I saw it. It was one of Cineworld's unlimited screenings, I was in the mood for a film, and after a brief Google suggested it was a heartwarming comedy drama set in a culture with which I'm not particularly familiar, I thought, yeah, why up, sounds good, that'll do. Could be interesting. Certainly those around me in the cinema seem to be enjoying it, even despite the lower half of the second row of subtitles being cut off by an incorrectly aimed projector. <laughs> me, on the other hand... It's a long time since the film made me this angry. Hmm. And no, it wasn't the subtitles. Beginning in New York, but set mostly in Changchun in China, The Farewell is based on real-life experiences of director Lulu Wang. Bailey, Aquafine, is struggling in her career as a writer. It's a stressful time for her, but one of her crutches is the close relationship she has with her grandmother in China, Nai Nai Zhao Shuzhen, with whom she talks by phone very regularly. Going to visit her parents in New York one day, she discovers a very sombre mood and demands to be told what the problem is. She's eventually let in on the knowledge that Nai, Nai has lung cancer. Not that they were going to tell Billy, though, beginning a whole series of absolute asshat humans lying to, directly or by omission, people in their family that they claim to care about. And why weren't they going to tell Billy? Someone they know has an extremely close relationship with her grandmother? Well... Because they're not telling the grandmother either. Uh, and they didn't believe that Billy would have the necessary lack of being a decent human to effectively sell the lie. This lie, incidentally, being that Nai Nai's fine and that Billy's cousin, Hao Hao, is returning to China from Japan to get married. And all of the family are gathering to celebrate. The wedding seems to be real, and therefore legal. So sucks to be the poor, non-Chinese-speaking Japanese girlfriend of How Hao somehow roped into the sham, I guess. But its purpose is not to unite two people in love, and they may well be in love, but they've only been together a few months and it's clearly not their choice, but to be with Nai, Nai as they watch her die without telling her that she's even ill. Nai, Nai being a moron is a secondary problem I'm not going to bother getting into. <laughs> Everyone's in on this. Friends, children, extended family, the entire fecking medical profession... Why Nai Nai, the patient, is never told of her condition and why the doctors instead talk only to her younger sister is left a mystery. Nai Nai's not feeble or of reduced mental capacity or anything, by the way. She's just your regular granny. Clearly they do things differently in China. And by differently here I mean in a manner completely at odds with that which would be ethical. (laughs) this deeply unethical behaviour is even directly addressed in the film, with Billy's father pointing out that keeping this information from the patient would be not just impossible in the US, it would be illegal, and for good reason because it's f***ing immoral! There's a really pathetic attempt at justification of this later, with Billy's uncle, Jang Yongbo spouting some nonsense about how in the West people are individuals and in the East it's different and that the larger whole is more important and yada 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 bull****. There are many cultural differences in this wide world, with different emphasis put on different matters all over. And that's fine! But some things are just wrong, regardless of whether it's a cultural norm or not. And telling your mother she just has a bad cold and illegally buying cancer medication off the internet based on something you read on the internet to give her under the guise of them being vitamins is definitely one of those things. (laughs) You can't criticise China, your Chinese, Nai Nai tells her family at one point. Not in the, you can't, you'll go to jail way, which is also true, but rather that you, you shouldn't, you mustn't, it's unthinkable, unconscionable. Not only is this mind-bendingly stupid, if anyone has the right to criticise China, it's Chinese. And if ever a country was deserving of criticism, then China is right up there. Mm. Curiously enough, though, and while this is an American film, it clearly required a lot of Chinese cooperation, there's plenty to suggest that director Wang is indeed criticising China, at least in an oblique manner, though frustratingly not criticising the issue at the heart of the film. Mm. (laughs) Around, under and behind all of this is what ought to be that touching family comedy drama that is what so many other people seem to have got from The Farewell. And that's the reason I don't actually hate this film. It's a believable family dynamic, the love and the sniping, issues of identity, particularly as a child of two cultures, some humour and enough of those really enjoyable insights into other cultures where you can see all of the... Well, that's very different and wow, not how we do it moments, mixed in with all of the ways in which we are so very similar. And then you have the humorous montage of How How, drunk and crying uncontrollably at his own wedding. And why is that? Oh yeah, because he has just sort of fake married a poor woman he barely knows and his beloved grandmother is right next to him dying from cancer. Laugh riot. <laughs> Had the central conceit been a point for discussion, then this could actually have been really interesting. But everyone, even those initially against it, fully buys in eventually. And not just because of the family politics and the certain ostracization it would result. And then there's a coda that either tries to justify the decisions taken and or renders them moot, and I'm not sure which. It's well directed and very well acted, Aquafina in particular, and the composition of scenes is often fantastic. But watching The Farewell is an awful experience, as virtually everyone in it is a terrible person, though the film acts otherwise. I'm a few weeks removed from this now, and I'm still salty about it. Uh, Surprisingly, then, it's not one that I'm going
1: to recommend. Is this an actual film, or have you been on the Tramadol again?
0: (laughs) This is an actual film that has had
1: glowing reviews since it was released at Sundance in January. Is everyone else on the Tramadol? Apparently, where can I get the tramadol, Drew? <laughs> I need the tramadol.
0: <laughs> all of the tramadol, all yes. of the lovely, lovely tramadol. <laughs> no, uh, I mean I looked around at a few reviews of this too, um, and understandably, they mention the the family dynamic and the culture clash sort of thing, which isn't played too heavily, but it's there, I and mean, that's all fine. But almost, well, in fact, not one review I've seen of literally oh, only half a dozen I looked at so far even mentioned the fact that the whole thing is based on something that is spectacularly immoral and unethical. Mm, yeah. And I don't care whether that, because you see in the film, like, that's a tradition in China, you don't tell people, it's like, yeah,
1: there's
0: lots of other traditions that are really bad too, like, you know, um, stopping women driving and things. They're not acceptable just because you've done it for a long <laughs> time doesn't make it okay. Uh, and it's just, it's so immoral. Honestly, I was... <laughs> but we've always tricked our grandmothers. Oh, it's baffling Scott. i mean first i don't understand why they're doing it's like the doctor talks to her sister but why she's a capable adult she's i don't get that that's the Mm. film starts off like that and then that scene where the father's talking about how it'd be illegal in the u.s and honestly i had to bite my tongue like literally bite my tongue (laughs) on my lip actually in the cinema because i hate people being loud in the cinema i was dying to swear at the screen and just scream about it being so immoral (laughs) and nobody else seems to have picked up on this and I'm like have I seen a different version of the film and I said I know I did because I saw it in a cinema full of people (laughs) Uh, yes this film made me very angry because it's just so wrong it's not addressed
1: (laughs) (sighs) minus five stars It's about right (laughs) (laughs) yes
0: um, so not recommended for me this one so China Let me down this time, Scott. I have a feeling well, because I've seen the film too, like giving that away but <laughs>
1: that Japan may serve us better this time. You've ruined it for the kiddies, yes. Uh, Mirai, which is studio Chizu and director Mamoru, the girl who leapt through time, Hosoda's latest film, and by that I mean he directed the girl who leapt through time, not that he is a girl <laughs> who leapt through time, although it's a fast-moving world and it's hard to keep up. And, and he may be. And, um... <laughs> Especially as there's a girl in Mirai who sort of leaps in time, I'm confused, let's start over. Um, <laughs> Mirai is for me at least a bit of a hard one to recap in any means- meaningful way that wouldn't require about as long to describe it as you would take to watch it. Um, I think the best I can say is that it concerns the growing pains of the older family, centred on Kun, their firstborn son, and his troubles adjusting at the ripe old age of four when he's joined by new younger sister Mirai. While well, he does become jealous of the attention, lavished on the newborn, he's given some reassurance from an unlikely source. <coughs> After playing around the tree his father designed a house around, the strangely clothed gentleman claiming to be the prince of the house, turning out to be the anthropomorphic spirit of their dog Yoko, <laughs> helps him gain some perspective on current events. And to a degree, that's the format of the film. Various largely entirely ordinary domestic flashpoints cause he's uh, come to take another acid trip <laughs> where he meets <laughs> or simply views various ancestors often shepherded by the spirit of Mirai from the future the risk, perhaps, of sounding like I'm diminishing it a bit. There's not a tremendous amount more to it, narratively speaking, and perhaps even thematically speaking, other than raising kids is tricky, eh? But it, what it does have, an overwhelming quantity, is charm, and it's a really easy and emotional watch. Now, it helps, of course, that it looks so good, with lovely fluid animation that's very occasionally marred by the CG backgrounds and such, not quite marrying up with the more traditional-looking animation, but that's a minor thing, and it's barely worth mentioning. Uh, this is the first non-Ghibli anime film to receive an Academy Award nomination and for once they're doing something right. Uh, Speaking of which, while this isn't on the same level as the Master of Ghibli, this at least gives me some hope that Miyazaki isn't completely correct in that comment that almost all Japanese animation is produced with hardly any basis taken from observing real people. It's produced by humans who can't stand looking at other humans. Studios Chizu and Ponok, at the very least, seem more than willing and able to carry the humanity forward if Miyazaki does actually retire at some point. So, yes, Gorgeous and Charming has all the feels, or at the very least 90% of the feels, and comes as highly Recommended as anything I've seen this year, I'd say. Uh, yeah, hard to say exactly why it's so good. Um, for me, at least, I couldn't quite put it into words, but yes, it's just really, really nice and a really charmingly done film and feels very human and warm and emotional. And uh, yes, I liked it an awful lot. Very nice.
0: Yes, here's where I Break Your Heart, Scott. No! It's just damn lovely, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a lovely film. I'll admit, I was slightly concerned at the film's opening because. There's a theme tune which opens the film and it's in Japanese except there are two words in English and it's like, so Japanese line, Japanese line sweet, 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 sweet Japanese line, Japanese line cute, (laughs) cute, cute, cute cute. Oh oh God, please don't be clawing and modelling Oh no, uh, I'm I'm wackish. I was a bit concerned about the way that was set up it's like, no, it's not it It is just kind of a a slice of, of family life kind of thing there are no great stakes in it. There's no threat in it. But it's beautiful. It, just, yeah. it feels so real. It's something I've said before, and it's not... Uh, studio Ghibli does it really well, but I don't remember the studio now, but remember a film from a few years ago called My My Miracle, Scott? Yes. Uh, less successful film than this, but it did it as well, and this, in that Japanese animation more than I'm not even just more than anything I've seen in the West I think I just don't think the West can do it at all that, that immediately occurs to me it just seems to get childhood mm. and children and the way they act I, I'm sure there are examples in the West but it just seems to be something that Japanese animation just gets and part of it is that Hayao Miyazaki thing about observing people and clearly he's not the only one that does it Yeah. as much as I like Miyazaki he does also deserve criticism for just being a crotchety old git, quite a lot of the time, because he's a crotchety old git. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe he's earned his crotchety old gittedness, but it's not, <laughs> not really pleasant. But uh, yeah, I say it with Studio Ponarch too, that there's like, there are animators here who who have observed people, they know how they act and can animate them and write them in a really believable way. And it's just, it's just such little things too, but they feel so real. There's the, in, for instance, my neighbor Totoro, May the young girl, the, the, the tantum she has and stuff. They just and then like grabbing um, Granny's legs and stuff. It just feels so like if if you ever seen kids they do stuff like that, and it's just subtle things like that that other animation styles or animations, um, she just just don't seem to get to do. Yeah, and this film is full of stuff like that. Like. But it's, like I was, it's really funny, this film actually. And the bits that completely caught me on the worst are like guffawing because Coon has put all these little cookies all over his sister's face because she's asleep <laughs> and he was just he was trying to annoy her. But I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll just balance cookies on her face. But that's not the <laughs> sort of thing a wee kid's going to do. <laughs> um, and then um, maybe things that they wouldn't do quite so much but still amused me too, like um, his obsession with trains. Yeah. And then just surrounding his sister in model trains. <laughs> yeah, I should mention the animation. It's beautiful. I had the same reservations about the few 3D bits that were put in there.
1: The bits that are sort of more dreamlike fantasy bits work better than the bits that were. There's a few shots that are, like, in supposedly the real world that just kind of looks a bit fake. But it's not enough yeah. to really...
0: There's a couple that sort of stood out, but... I, I wasn't particularly bothered by them, just, no, was... I guess, more than unnecessary. Like the the overhead shots of the house, yeah, and like kind of moving and, and seeing the corner, I was like, e- Yeah, I think it, was, it it feels different on the animation, and I don't think it adds anything. The only bit that really bothered me, I think, though, was the sort of I guess dragon train in one of the sections near the end because yeah. it was like a full three D model, and it just it didn't fit. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, that we're really they're picking nits here because it's a such a charming film, uh, beautiful animated, and just even just some of the facial expressions on of all things the dog, yeah. <laughs> because Kuhn is he is tearing the place apart. He's crying. He's calling his mum and dad all sorts of names because they're like they're not paying attention to him. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's this brilliant expression on the dog's face that just quite clearly reads... You think you've got troubles, bud? <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. It's a delightful and charming film, and I highly, highly recommend this. It's lovely stuff.
1: Yes, absolutely. Oh, and, um, My My Miracle was by Madhouse Studio. Madhouse is the studio that um, Mamoru Hosoda was part of before he left to start up Studio Chizu So, ah, I see, yeah, there's your six degrees of uh, Madhouse for you. <laughs> there's very often a through line, isn't there? <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, heartily, heartily recommended. As, as I say, it's uh, as good as anything I've seen this year. Heartily enjoyed it. It's like looking at
0: the director's other works too, some I've seen and really like, like The Boy and the Beast, and others I have but I haven't got into to watching, like Summer Wars. And I was like, maybe I'll just remedy that because he, j- he does seem to have a, a good touch at this sort of thing. Yes, I'll probably skip Digimon the movie though. I can't see that interests <laughs> me. And catch up with the Wolf Children, in Summer Wars. I think so. Are we finishing on a high note or a low note? What do you think, Scott?
1: Well, we're going to talk about Alita Battle Angel, which um, I think you'll fill us in on, which is a decidedly mixed note for me. But yes, what do you think? What do you make of it, Trim? Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's sort of like a meh note. Yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah. So,
0: let's talk about that. Sometimes a filmmaker becomes associated with a particular work, often an adaptation, and they struggle for years, even decades, to bring it to fruition. Such things are often called pet project or labour of love and then sometimes the filmmaker becomes associated with a project that while the fans may be fired up is clearly something that they might fancy doing maybe at some point possibly and will perhaps noodle around with it a little every few years usually in between working on the stuff they actually care about despite james cameron's 20-year association with alita battle angel (laughs) this film is clearly the latter and it shows Based on Yukito Kishiro's 1990s manga and inexplicably changed the name from the objectively (laughs) better original translation of Battle Angel Alita, Cameron... I'm glad you agree. Uh,
1: Why? Why make that change?
0: (laughs) Cameron's script, co-written with Leta Calugridis, has been handed off to Robert Rodriguez to finally bring this long gestating adaptation to the screen. It's the 26th century and 300 years after The Fall, that wonderfully nebulous sci fi shorthand for everything went <laughs> and we don't want to write the backstory. <laughs> uh, and their action begins in Iron City, based on Panama City, a bustling cyberpunk metropolis whose industries exist to serve the gigantic Zalem, last of the sky cities which hovers above it. Amongst Iron City's residents is Christoph Valsey's Dr. Dyson Edo, cybernetics expert and part time vacuum cleaner repairman. Yes, yeah, I know, I know. This one I will actually give an apology for. <laughs> but I couldn't get that, I thought out of my head because of the name. <laughs> Scavenging one day for parts, Edo discovers the head and partial torso of a cyborg with an intact living human brain inside. Well, I say discover, which is really giving Edo considerably more credit than he deserves. This cyborg this 300-year-old super-advanced cyborg is simply lying on top of a pile of scrap out in the open with near even a smidgen of dust. Three hundred Years. This is our first inkling that this film does not understand time. This will become a problem. Ido takes the cyborg home, where he just happens to have a fully functioning, perfectly-sized cyborg body ready to donate to her that he had made for his dead daughter. He gives the body... And not at all creepily, his daughter's name, Alita, to the cyborg, who, on waking, turns out to have an extensive vocabulary, perfect speech, but in that narratively convenient way, no good recollection of who she is, nor of oranges or chocolate for some reason. Oh, and also has creepily large eyes, an odd character design conceit that was weird and discomforting in the trailer, and while attenuated slightly, is still weird and discomforting by the film's conclusion. <laughs> Events happen quickly to Alita, and in short order, she learns that Edo is also a bounty hunter. Folks who now do the job of a police force. Which hasn't existed, we are told, since before the fall. But 300 years! That outside of the city walls, everything is a wreck and all of the infrastructure was was destroyed. But 300 years! Even Puerto Rico, under the administration of that sociopathic orange cretin, would have had its infrastructure fixed before then. uh, And that she's a Martian. And because she's a Martian, and therefore the enemy from the battles that presumably led to the Fall, she is to be killed. She also learns that she was a super badass, god-level ninja cyborg Martian, not just your regular Martian. And learns to reject, in a teenage angst sort of way, the parental restrictions of Dokido. Something she can never have consented to live by, nor come to resent in the first place, because this all literally happens in two days. Then there's a the boy who she naturally comes to love in not much more time and who we, the audience, are seemingly supposed to care about despite the fact that he makes his living by assaulting cyborgs and stealing their body parts. Imagine uh, And is made out of wood, yes. going by his performance. <laughs> yes. Also, imagine that sympathy for Mr Vengeance changed halfway through and made you want to root for the people who stole his kidneys. <laughs> Alita must survive multiple attempts on her life, directed by a mysterious character called Nova, including via a cyborg roller derby match come Star Wars Padres, for some reason, <laughs> and Jackie L. Haley's giant cyborg Grishka, who calls her Little Flea, which is plenty irritating the first time, let alone the 12th. All of these things awaken Alita to her bad acidness, and she attempts to reach Zalem, where the answers lie. And by answers, I mean sequel because the hard-hearted attempts at adding backstory and creating interest left piecemeal and sparingly throughout the film end in a great big please come and see the next instalment sign. Yes.
1: Which, and, spoilers, not happening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um Yes, I, I doubt it. It made more money than I expected it to. It did better in the global hmm. box office than the US box office, but I don't see this making no. a sequel. Which, frankly, it deserves to not have because of the cheek of finishing it like that. Anyway... In world-building terms, Alita is reasonably successful with its Latin American architecture mixed with cyberpunk elements making for visual interest. And while some of its cyborgs may border on cartoonish, there's definitely some depth in there with themes of extreme body modification and the stretch perhaps what defines humanity. And the nuts and bolts of the world are largely coherent. We can get a reasonable idea of how the world works, just not why, given the complete lack of information about the mysterious Zalem. Uh, Sadly, this is often undermined by a lack of understanding of distance to match that of time. While in wide shots the city seems vast, the action suggests it can be traversed in minutes and that everyone knows where everything and everyone is. Character narrative-wise, though, it's a failure. Certainly I've seen far worse, but really, it's not brilliant. The film's principal antagonist is a particular problem character in the film because it's a character that's not in the film. Nova, as he is called, is absent almost entirely, save a few lines spoken through other characters' mouths and a flashback of Alita's, where another cyborg tells her Nova's the bad guy, (laughs) Mk." Then he turns up right at the end as a silent Edward Norton in silly glasses and my only emotion associated with the antagonist at all throughout the film turns out to be Why? Why Ed Norton? Why is Ed Norton there? Why have you wasted Ed Norton? (laughs) And what ought to be the story's centre, Alita's exploration of what and who she is, and what defines her as a person, is hugely compressed, compounding the film's issue with time in order to get to the next action set piece. Norton is not alone, though, as Jennifer Connelly, Mahershala Ali and Christoph Waltz are all largely squandered, thanks in large part to spectacularly insipid dialogue. Twenty years James Cameron's working on the script. Twenty! In the end, Battle Angel Alita, really, it scans so much better that way around, frustrates more than anything. It's an interesting world in which, so far, the writers and director failed to do anything interesting. There is so much potential for exploration here, and almost everything actually compelling is reduced, or jettisoned entirely, in favour of action sequences and tepid, vapid, tween romance. Also, it's the 26th century and the Barbie-style physique seemingly still holds sway, even for advanced Martian ninja robots. (laughs) I will give a nod to Robert Rodriguez, though, for his surprisingly effective attempt at horror about halfway through the film, when Jai Courtney appears as a cyborg roller derby champion. (laughs) He got me. He really did. He's only in that one scene, I believe, but there could have been more, and I was frightened, and that's (laughs) damn rare. Well played, Mr. Rodriguez.
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, Alita: Battle Angel joins the short list of science fiction films that aren't good in the normal sense of the word, but, word, but have enough ambition that I nonetheless like them, even if their reach exceeds their <laughs> grasp quite wildly. You know, it's, it's like that, and like David Lynch's *Dune* and um, *Cloud Atlas* and. Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets or whatever it was um, mm. I remember watching this at the cinema back in the day and it would have been like a couple of weeks before Captain Marvel and I remember thinking there's more ideas in the first 10 minutes of Elite Battle Angel than there is in the entirety of Captain Marvel but there's also more inept execution <laughs> in the entirety of the film than there is in 10 minutes of Captain Marvel yeah. um, it's, it, yeah, it, it, it's in many ways it's just a squandered opportunity, I, I, overall I liked it just because of the expansiveness of the world but it does itself so many disfavours and, uh, and uh, to be fair I think actually the action scenes and all the roller derby stuff and all that stuff it's a bit silly but I did actually quite like it, it's quite Kinetically done. Um, yeah, Rodriguez do. can do action. I um, enjoyed the action sequences, and I
0: actually think had <laughs> James Cameron directed it, they would also have been just as good. I mean, because mm. he's, he can do action sequences. It's all the bits in between.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which anything seem to care about. <laughs> anything that's not looking at the actual landscape of it. Um, the, the kind of world that's been realised does look really good, but the people that are in it aren't. He, he, I can almost let Waltz and Connolly and um, Marcella Ali as well. They they almost get away with it just because they're quite good as actors, but really the, the script's awful yeah, and the dialogue when, in particular.
0: It's in, particularly between those the the two well kids, I guess you'd call them. It's yeah.
1: so bad. Yeah, but Rose Salazar and Keen Johnston. I think his name is. Um, yeah, awful just not good. Uh, I like the visual designs, it's, it's very strange it's also very deliberately sitting itself right in the middle of the Uncanny Valley with um, Alita's character design, the big eyes and that kind of thing and it's, it's quite a, a bold choice. I'm not 100% sure it works but it kind of always it, it was always quite arresting I don't know if it's good or bad yeah. but it was different. <laughs> it was it's like, different it was like the uh, feature length version of that old PlayStation 2 advert um, But yeah, just a weird, weird uh, way to show it and um, it kind of worked. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm, not, it's, it, I'm
0: like, I guess they're going for kind of your traditional kind of anime eyes, which I understand, but she's the only card. that Why, has a yes. cool. Yeah. It's, <laughs>
1: it's really odd. Yeah, and um, it, it does suffer, as you say, um, in the main because it's... It, of course, it's been adapted from a serial and this feels a bit like it's about three episodes of the serial mashed together with a cliffhanger for the fourth that you're now never going to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's... It doesn't really tie this well enough together into one film story. It's not structured the way it should be for it to be a compelling film by itself, let alone a film as part of a, no doubt, hope for a series. But yeah, uh, how this adaptation, if indeed it was this adaptation that Cameron has been working on for 20 years, got to this point to be filmed I don't know, because this feels like it was thrown together as a script in the last couple of days before shooting it Um, It feels like they've just ran the the manga through... um, Google Translate and ah, that'll do Close enough Um, It's mainly the visuals anyway, no one will care But uh, we do care, and uh, yeah, it's not good enough Um, And in that way It disappoints me I I, I will still probably keep going back to this film now and again uh, Just because I like the look of it so much But, uh, yeah, and uh, I have a soft spot for kind of Bold failures of science fiction films (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's just a bit of a shame Um, This had real potential uh, to be good in a way that I don't think something like, um, like... Ghost in the Shell as a film compared to the anime was never going to work. It was just a bad idea. This yeah. could have worked. This There was enough scope and latitude that you could have done something substantially different here I made it fun and I uh, uh, spaffed it. Um, yeah, it didn't quite land.
0: This is another thing that... And I actually I think with the level at which television production is nowadays mm-hmm. we're going to see more and more often is that this feels like it should have been a miniseries. series, yes absolutely yeah like the, this is exactly the sort of thing Amazon Prime should have funded, yeah yeah, Because they're doing it I mean they they've got like their Lord of the rings adaptations come up and stuff so they're they're clearly willing to do that sort of thing, yeah Netflix also will do that sort of thing as well. That it would let it breathe because yeah. it's so compressed and I'm not joking that her change of like going like oh basically he's my father and I'll, I'll be on with it oh I'm teenage rebellion it, it literally happens in two days yeah. because the first time she goes out it is the day after and, they, and like, <laughs> if I can if I'm thinking is this just like compressed then there's no, there's a line of um, Christoph Waltz just afterwards it says yeah basically I found you yesterday so I oh, no no it's okay it's just the same day then yeah uh, uh, and yeah, this, you were talking about the James Cameron thing and the having worked on it. It just it just feels like it was just farted out the script. Um, yeah, like there's clearly a vision for the world, but not for what anybody's doing in it. Yeah, um, and it does feel. I do have the feeling that that James Cameron saw the manga back in uh, the late nineties, was intrigued and thought maybe this is something that I can work on. Then made the mistake of telling someone. Yeah. And, and that's where it's coming I really think it's like like fans of probably it's probably anime fans who the people who keep asking like oh when's James Cameron doing this are you doing this and so then you get all the pop culture people uh, places like Comic Con or wherever else that he's been interviewed are popping up and they ask about this time because this is a thing that they like yeah. and they've heard that he's associated with it but it was never a big thing for him I, I genuinely believe that um, yeah. I certainly hope so because at least that might excuse some of the shoddiness of this Yes, that it's like yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Quite fancy that, but uh, no, I'm too busy with my 800 avatar sequels um, <laughs> or doing things about underwater exploration again. It's like then, you know, it's like cause he's got the month or two between a couple of films that he's working on. and He, you know, he sketches down a few notes and things, and he's like. Oh, I could do that, maybe that, and it's like, then he realises that, up oh, next film's starting, that goes the way the draw and doesn't think about it for five years. Yeah. And it only just keeps going up because he keeps being asked at things. <laughs> yeah, and it really shows. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I'll return to this. Because I don't, as much as I like how it looks, Scott, I don't think it's got an awful lot more to offer.
1: No, you're probably right.
0: Yeah. Um, whereas of the, I say that I don't like Dune, it's honestly so long since I've seen Dune, I would really have to see it again to see if I still don't like it. That was when I borrowed that DVD from you probably 20 years ago, so almost 20 yeah. years. Um, so the time I've seen June. But well, with the other films you mentioned in that kind of ilk, I, I guess I see how it fits in it, but it doesn't compare to something like Cloud Atlas, I think. Hmm. I think that's got a, an awful lot more interest. Again, it's something that where the reach very much extended past its grasp, but it's... Um, it, it feels more ambitious and there's more interest in there and I think it rewards more repeat viewers. I, I don't think this is much to offer up on a second viewing.
1: Yeah, both it and Juden are very dense and I think are films that only really work if you've got the Notes guide of the book behind you beside yeah. you at the same time, whereas this, this really doesn't. This hasn't got any real Wider scope crammed into it that just you're know, at the edges that it couldn't get to. It's just like it, it just like it, it almost doesn't exist for yeah. this film, which is a bit of a shame because it's obviously there. Um, there's plenty of things that this could have gone into if I yeah, just skipped have. over it in seconds, yeah.
0: Yeah, it ought to have stuff because from I've not read the manga, but from what I can gather about it, it is, it is, it is more about kind of existential stuff and it's quite meditative in some ways, yeah. Well, still being like focused around action and things, hmm. whereas in this. It's not even so much like it's an afterthought. It's just, it's barely in there at all. I guess I suppose it's make it more like an afterthought. You can feel that there are little snippets of story in there like that are meant to get you intrigued, but they're either not successful enough at doing that, or there's so few of them that by the time it gets to the end, you've forgotten they existed. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, why, why Nova, Why? <laughs> there's a scene where there's a snippet of her in a pre- uh, elite in her previous life fighting on the moon. Like, well, that's quite cool. Why? Why are they on the moon? What is this battle? What are the stakes of this? And, and none of that is addressed, so there, there, you can't have any interest in it because it tell you a single thing.
1: Yeah, lots of that, that's of writing, but there's there's ideas that they pulled from the manga and just spaffed away for like fractions of seconds in some cases yep. and um all of that could have been its own film <laughs> in a lot of the cases not just not even just a few scenes it could have been its own film you could have had a yep. whole film about him just, uh getting rebuilt slowly discovering that his uh, her adoptive father's a bounty hunter becoming a hunter herself that's that's a whole film there and that's like yeah. the first what 30 minutes of this um <laughs> Everything's just rushed and um, it, it burns Through a lot of things that should really have been Spending a lot more time exploring and uh, yeah That's a bit of a shame. When it comes to sort of Thinking about recommending it, I, I can't put my hand On my heart and say that people should watch this film It's just no, not overall good enough To do that but it just At the same time I can't help but respect that there is Enough work and Ideas in there that it's Maybe for the right person It's, it's worth giving a shot to Now that you don't, If it shows up on streaming it's worth in front of you at that point but um, yeah it's, it's, it is just a missed opportunity and that's a shame
0: yeah so it's not a film I would necessarily dissuade anyone from watching because I, I didn't dislike it I, I certainly found bits enjoyable which is not to say it's a good film it's not hmm. uh, and again the dialogue is so atrocious that it's I really find it hard to to say anything positive about the dialogue anywhere in it yeah because um, it's either exposition heavy uh, probably anything that Christophe Valls says is exposition. Yes. <laughs> uh, really awkwardly done. I mean, the fact that it's not completely intolerable is credit to him. Yes. <laughs> uh, being the fine actor that he is. But yeah, otherwise, it's just the stuff between Alita and um, the boy whose name has, he, he has a name. I don't care what it is, so don't remind me if you have it off the top of your head. Yeah. Uh, it's just risible. Um, yes. It's sub twilight as much as I remember but Twilight having seen just the first film but it's certainly of that level anyway it's awful and but I again i say I wouldn't necessarily dissuade people from watching it because there there are some interesting ideas in there at least in terms of the world it's visually interesting yeah which may be a reason to watch and this will seem silly but given today's typical running times it's only two hours <laughs> and I didn't actually I didn't feel the length of that film in particular it didn't particularly outstate its welcome um, in that regard but yeah there's enough interesting stuff going on in the world that if you stumble across it you can maybe appreciate it just on that level yeah I just think you're going to feel deeply frustrated by the lack of narrative and the creepy eyes <laughs> creepy
1: creepy eyes yes yeah, so that'll wrap us up for the day. Thanks very much for your attention. If you would like to get in touch with us about these films or any other ones, then please do. You can do so on Twitter. We're on there at Fudson Film, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Film. or old school people can use the old emails at podcast at fudsonfilm.com. So, uh, yeah, until next time, I wish you adieu, adieu and I'm sure that the tavendale shall do too.
0: Uh, I will do. I'm hastily going to find some sort of therapist appointment for my clear identity crisis (laughs) get that sorted out before the next episode. (laughs) Fairly well.